everyone. This is Connie Morgan introducing episode three of our new series featuring co-founder of Free Black Thought, Michael David Cobb Bowen and author Wheatfield Twyman Jr. Mike and Wink compare their respective imagined roles as king of history month. Black History Month, that is. Listen as they survey their kingdoms of blackness from the Castle of Literature, the Tower of Black Enterprise Magazine, and the enemy beast of reparations for American slavery. Mike and Week summon the ghosts of Hotel California with the prompt, We are all just prisoners here of our own device. This is Bowen and Twyman. Good morning, afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world or on the planet. This is the Bowen and Twyman podcast number three in a new year. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes, indeed. And we are recording this uh, a week or so in advance of Black History Month. (laughs) So we're going to pretend that we are your role models for a moment and we're going to tell you all the things we think about when we talk about Black History Month. In fact, Wink, you know what? I think you you could be king of Black History Month. If you were like king it. of Black History Month, how would you set it up? Oh, wow. I love that. I, I accept that designation uh, <laughs> freely and willingly. So, well, you know, if I were king of Black History Month, I would have as my opening ode, if you will, or uh, or passage, the following uh, quotation. And just hear imagine ye, hear ye. that you're uh, you're you're at the Hotel California, and the Eagles mm. are playing. Mm. Mirrors on the ceiling, the pink champagne <laughs> on ice, and she said, "We're all just prisoners here of our own device." And ah. in the master's chambers, they gathered for the feast. They stab, they stab it with their, it with stealing, their stealing knives, knives. they just can't kill the beast. And when I think of Black History Month as king, as monarch, I think that is the thing I would do. I would slay the beast, the mm. beast of a, uh, uh, a negative, despondent state of mind, and I would uh, slay the beast of reparations for American slavery, in that order. Ooh. But first things first, the state of mind. Uh, wait, wait. Well, first of all, that's so deep. When you say we're all just prisoners here of our are. own design. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. yeah, think about that. I mean, no no one tells us when we enter the world, blackness equals A, B, or C. We're oblivious to that. When we're mm. one years old, two, three, four, five, six. No, no. External forces and conditions imprint on us how we define blackness. Sadly, in this day and age, it's considered uh, good form and a sign of uh, social status in some circles to define blackness as oppression. Nothing else Mm. matters. To always look at things that are race-related through a negative lens, I say the opposite. And I know the opposite because I actually grew up in a mystical southern place uh, before the era of of harsh uh, critical race theory and CRT Mm -hmm. and DEI. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a place under grandma's roof where I learned to be black. I discovered mm-hmm. what blackness meant through the wonderful pages of Black Enterprise Magazine, a publication published by Earl Graves Jr. Oh, yes. the man with the mutton chops. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So if I were king of Black History Month, I would make as I would instill this mandatory reading 
Black mm. Enterprise magazine for all students of all ages. Uh, all right. and it wouldn't matter what your race was, because that is really the best way to uh, uh, have that state of mind that is positive and optimistic. Uh, all right. Yeah. That, if I, I like that. History, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Wow, that's interesting. Now I have a I have a slightly different take, and but I'll I'll definitely want to hear uh, mm-hmm. you to elaborate on on the black uh, the black capitalism, the black enterprise. Sure. Um, and and it it has to do with the fact that I, a lot of my family are on the the literary side. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they they got into education, they got into social welfare, uh, and so I grew up in a house full of books. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember as a kid, I was the oldest and whenever every once in a while, me and my dad would build a new bookcase. Okay. And then we would go every weekend someplace, some bookstore or a guy selling them on the street and we would just fill up the 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 VW bus with a yeah. few books, yeah. bring them home and and then I'd look at them and I'm, and then one day I said I said dad who is what is the most difficult book that you have on this bookcase mm-hmm. uh, that was written by a black man mm-hmm. or a black woman? And he said, here, this is Blues People by Leroy Jones. Oh, OK. And I looked at that book. I must have been 14 or 15 years old. Yeah. And it was way over my head. Mm-hmm. And I had read I had read Ar- Arthur C. Clarke's 2001 when I was in the sixth grade. I just loved the movie and I loved the book. But here was this book, and I was like, okay, I thought I was smart. I'm not that smart, <laughs> and there are black people smarter than you, me, or my dad. Mm. So, okay, cool. I, I don't feel bad anymore, but I know that I have a lot that I could be reading. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, over my life, I've inherited my dad's library, almost 800 books, mm-hmm. And uh, and then I've had my own my own collection. And so I want to introduce you Americans during Black History Month to some of the black authors that have made a tremendous difference in my life mm-hmm. and 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 more than kept my head above water and making a way when I can to to achievement and, and maybe even a little excellence and wisdom. Who knows? Sure. Sure. So what when did. Let's see. Your sound went down a little bit. Is it you or is it me? Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, no problem. Hey, that it's was... you this time. It's you this time. <laughs> I feel better. I feel affirmed, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I, I, I have I have a mute switch on my on my thing, sure, and I just right. got so animated that uh, yeah, and you know you were taken away. You were transported. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I asked, uh, when did you encounter uh, first inter- encounter Black Enterprise? What was that like for you? Oh, you know, it's interesting. I was probably uh, nine or eight years old, eight or nine, nine. Uh, and I was just hanging around grandma's house because she would babysit uh, uh, me and my sister. And in her living room, it was a nice living room, uh, nice fireplace, mantle, pictures of the grandkids. But I remember distinctly on a uh, coffee table to the left, my uncle Robert, my uncle James Scott Twyman always had a uh, subscription series of magazines. Jet mm-hmm. Magazine, Jet. Japanese Magazine, and Black Enterprise. Let's not talk about Jet. 
because we all know there was a centerfold there at times. Yes. But, but and don't forget the brothers' top twenty. That's true. That's true. That's Always true. check that out. Right. But I think I was drawn to uh, the, the, the color and the configura configuration of Black Enterprise magazine. And as I started to read these uh, stories, you know, I was just enthralled with these people who just seemed larger than life to little old me, who was maybe nine years old at the time, nine or ten. You know, people like uh, Barry Gordy, who founded mm. Detroit, uh, Motown out of Detroit. People yeah. like John Johnson, who uh, I think he... Uh, had to get a loan on his mom's furniture to start Ebony Magazine back wow, in Arkansas didn't know that. in the 1940s. Uh, people like Percy Sutton, who, uh, a native of San Antonio, Texas, found himself in Manhattan and literally, literally wanted to form a radio station and had to go through 61 rejections wow. from banks and lenders before he got to yes. And wow. I was just enthralled with that. To me, that was like... That's 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 a man. That is someone who's going to mm. make his way regardless. Mm. Uh, and so it was those kind of stories that began to rivet me. And so it was kind of like um, Greek uh, tales or Nordic mm -hmm. tales of yore. But for mm -hmm. me, it was black enterprise and stories of black men who were defining for me. Well, this is what blackness means. Blackness means to have a high aim in life and to mm -hmm. be positive, triumph over adversity. Uh, enterprise, and I think that was that was a blessing, and and mm -hmm. I wasn't preached to, but my uncle James Scott was so wise because he mm -hmm. left those subscriptions there for nieces and nephews to read and discover on their own. So in okay. a sense, we were self-learning blackness at right. the tender age of nine and ten. Uh, wow, you know, it beats indoctrination by a <laughs> diversity trainer. Well, you know <laughs> the the, the ultimate privilege is having a uh, black family that got its stuff together. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. I thank you for that. I thank you for that. So, yeah. So this is wild. When you say that they're almost like uh, you know Norse mythology, I yes. did not know that John H. Johnson was from Arkansas. I believe so. Yes, yes. Yeah, and then and then uh, San Antonio was uh, Percy, Percy Sutton. Percy Sutton, yes. And he he made his money in New York radio, didn't that's he? That's right. That's right. And he also became okay. the first black president of Manhattan, the borough. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. So he was a he was a borough. I didn't know that either. That's right. That's right. Man, those guys did they did some stuff back in the day. And, the, and keep in mind, this was all self education because if mm -hmm. you recall, you know, I was mm -hmm. attending a southern small town suburban conservative school mm -hmm. it was like 90 what 96 percent white so i wasn't mm -hmm. getting black history from school but i was getting it in a very organic and natural way word on the home front from word Grandma. yeah word i i tell you i i these days people are telling me and i get personal letters Oh, emails anyway, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. comments. Yeah. You know, they they're saying this about Black history in Florida, and don't you think that's? I'm like, you, any Black family with self-respect, now being harsh about it, Be you harsh. ought to have your Be own harsh. library. Thank you, you ought to buy your own books, even Preach if you it. went yeah. to the public library and yeah. stole them. Yeah. Then yeah. do that. Yes. Because it's like so much out there. I I can remember the first time. I went to the Strand Bookstore in New York City, and yeah. I'm 30 years old, and I, I've done some reading, and I thought I'd be a writer. And mm -hmm. I'm like, what are the chances for me to get published? I went in the Strand Bookstore, and I was just 
dumbstruck. There's mm-hmm. so many books, floor to ceiling. Mm-hmm. And I, it never hit me like that. I mean, even when I was in the stacks of Doheny Library at USC as a freshman, mm-hmm. the overwhelming thing of how many hours, how many people spent writing all of these books and knowing how much people get rejected from publication. And yes. still there's all of these books. Right. And, you know, and, and so that even makes it more impressive that there were so many black authors going back in American history. So after Blues People, um, I picked up Gene Toomer's Cain. Ah, yes. And, and, And part of this is I really never expected to find more black blackness for me in these books. I mean, I was already done. I was I was already I had already done Kwanzaa. I was mm-hmm. already, you know, yeah, I knew right. all the stuff, right? Right, right. And nobody nobody challenged my blackness. Right. But then to be somewhat of a scholar and an intellectual like my grandfather and I can do his voice. <laughs> you you you're Bobby's son, aren't you? <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Right, right. Um and and what a bon vivant he was. Uh but all kinds of books. So Cabness was the character, mm-hmm. just kind of a man out of time mm-hmm. in the South and not poisoned by mm-hmm. the South. Mm-hmm. And and all the things that the South threw at him kind of bounced off of him. Yeah. And he was like, why don't people recognize who I am? But it never got him down. Yeah. And I like I says, I like this guy. Mm-hmm. And then then Cornell West. I picked up Cornell West in the mid 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he first came to prominence. And I can still remember, I'm riding the bus, and I have like six pages of photocopied something from some book that he wrote. Right. Uh, it might have been Prophecy Deliverance, or, or I don't remember which one. Mm-hmm. But it was, he, he said this thing, organic intellectual. Oh, wow. And I glommed onto that. I was yes. like, yeah, that's what I am. I'm an organic intellectual. Because, you know, even the great authors... Nobody asked what university Mark Twain went to. Yeah, no one cares. doesn't matter. Right. It's like if you write the book and it connects with people, that's it. That's right. That's the thing. Well said. And, and, I, I, and, and reading all of these books, and I'll, I'll have more on my list, um, I always knew that everybody, white, black, Puerto Rican, anybody can read the book because it's out there. This yes. is like here's here's what we're thinking and yes. we're letting the world know. It's yes. not just about convincing this person over over here or that person over there or this political party. It's like yeah. boom, this is what I think world now. You mm-hmm. tell me. Mm-hmm. And so wow. So Cornell West American Evasion of Philosophy was the book that kind of for once and all once and for all got rid of all the mythology of, of Afrocentricity for oh, me okay. because they said, look, Americans don't get bogged down with epistemological debates, epistemological debates. Right. We just kind of say what's practical, what works, and here's a philosophy, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And he pointed to a lot of folks, but Emerson, Ralph Waldo Emerson was the one that got me. Who, who basically said, this is the American soul, and this is how we, we, we do. And I was like, 
I agree with everything Emerson said. Yeah. I know I don't need anything else. I'm like, and, and Cornell West, thank you for introducing me to this guy. Cause that's a book I would have never picked up off, off the, the shelf myself. And right. I was like, okay, that's it. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm done looking for other philosophies from other continents and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and that was a real revelation for me. Well said. Good point. And for me, the revelation similarly was, once again, Earl Graves Jr., 1971, 1972. I'm reading pages after pages of Black Enterprise at the age of 10 and 11. And it occurred to me a few uh, weeks ago, what words were I receiving to understand the world, the universe? What words were entering my little mind uh, in the uh, the fourth and fifth grade? So I did a little scan. I chose four issues of Black Enterprise from that time period, 1971 to 1973. And I looked for these words that we all recognize today. I looked for systemic racism in the pages <laughs> of Black Enterprise. I looked for institutional racism. I, I looked long and hard for privilege, oppression, oppressor, oppressed, marginalized, intersectionality, center blackness, colonizer, black lives matter, white fragility, anti-racism, diversity, equity, inclusion. And how many times did I see those words in the Mm. black? Zero. 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 There was like one off reference to liberation, but that was a reference to Congressman Clayton Powell Jr., which made a lot of sense. My point Hmm. is, at that tender age, I was digesting and creating and divining a sense of blackness that was devoid of those words that I think mm-hmm. are self-defeating today. And mm-hmm. I think in some ways that reflects itself in the man I am today. I've had people kind of look at me sometimes and think, are you Jamaican? Are you from the <laughs> West Indies? Because I don't have that kind of post Derek Bell post CRT mindset mm-hmm. when it comes to black. Mm-hmm. I think I think I have an old school. Someone told me this. One of my readers. I have an old school way of understanding blackness. I have yes, you a do. Coworker. Yeah, and and I think that's to be that's good. I think that's to the good, to the better. We need absolutely. I agree. Yeah. I'm old school too. That's why I, that's why I, I talked like Chico, like my grandfather, because <laughs> he was old. I I tell people. I said my grandparents got married in the Depression. Mm-hmm. My grandmother survived polio. Right, right. My grandmother had three children at home, mm-hmm. not even wow. thinking that she could get admitted to a hospital yeah. with nice doctors and, and, and birthing rooms and all that stuff. No, it was yeah. at home. Yeah. And I'm like, we have lost some of that skill. Uh, I agree. I agree. But the good thing is we don't lose the literature. We don't We don't lose the stories about what people were thinking way back when so after i got done with cornell west i still wanted to hear something a little bit different Mm -hmm. Uh, and one of the one of the authors that i found was uh charles r johnson Mm -hmm. and he wrote a book called middle passage yes uh uh, oh what a great book and i mean even if you want to do slavery he talks about you know uh 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 a, a mythical tribe called the Almuseri. And everything Kunta Kinte didn't do, the Almuseri did. Like they hijacked that boat and they said, oh. here's, here's what's up. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, you know, I've always had the, uh, an idea of do this little crypto group sure. uh, of the Almuseri. And I was thinking about those authors and writers 
who just like told it like it is and mm. and 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 did it in not a whiny kind of help me help me kind yes. of way yes uh yes. and and so charles johnson did that he also wrote a book called ox herding tales and it's a great bunch of short stories i re- i used to read them to my kids uh growing up and that was really good one more i want to talk about but but there's several more mm-hmm. daryl pinkney Daryl Pinckney wrote a book called High Cotton. Mm-hmm. And I didn't read this book until I was about 30 years old. And and before that, I had never read something that felt like me. Mm-hmm. And there it was. Mm-hmm. There it was. And, and you may not have heard of Daryl Pinckney, uh, but he came out a little bit before uh, Zadie Smith became okay. a sensation. Uh, and before uh, another guy who wrote the uh, the Intuitionist, I can't remember his oh, name. Oh, uh, Colson Colson White Colson Whitehead. Whitehead. Yes. Okay. And so and and so I was like, yeah, give me these contemporary black intellectual writers because that's what I'm on about. Yeah. And Pinkney, I I was right there. I was like, okay, this is one guy who knows me. But the crazy thing yeah. was the White Boy Shuffle. Mm-hmm. by Paul Beatty. Mm-hmm. That book, literally people who knew me said, Mike, Mike, this is you. And it turns out that Paul Beatty grew up in Los Angeles like I did. Uh, okay. And he just wrote stuff. I'm like, I know what he's talking about. I know that, that thing. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's about, he's about our age too. Mm-hmm. Just some, some wonderful writers. So as King, I declare you must pay attention to these writers. <laughs> I'm willing to submit to that uh, that dictate that directive. Um, you know, when I looked through those uh, issues of Black Enterprise, I remember as a little kid, I saw this um, passage, and it was in all bold uh, lettering, uh, half caps, half not. But it just it was emblematic of a place and time and my mindset and my developing sense of blackness. And the people around me, for that matter. And it read as mm-hmm. follows. Um, the ad said, Black is beautiful, but it's not enough to make it. It takes mm. talent and inspiration, plus a knowledge of what your competition is doing. Mm. And there's no more authoritative source for locating Blacks on the move in business than Black Enterprise. Black Enterprise for Black men and women who want to get ahead, February 1972, page 53. That set my little soul on fire. Wow. <laughs> From that point on, I just thought, you know, black people are the people who are like moving and getting wow. things done. Yeah. 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 I like that. And especially I like competition. Yes. Because yes. if you're not willing to compete. You got to compete. You got to compete. Gotta I mean, compete. I, I remember when I got first, uh, accepted to this exclusive prep school and i was like i don't it's it's all boys school and they're all white boys i don't know if i want to do that but then when i got in i said wait a minute these are the rich white boys that everybody else doesn't even know like everybody in my neighborhood Mm because i took the bus to school until Mm -hmm. i got a bike then i rode my bike to school right and they're already driving brand new volvos and (laughs) and and there but there was another black kid who had a Porsche 914. Mm-hmm. 
whoa, who was that? Barry Gordy the third? No. <laughs> but, and that was the crazy thing. I was expecting that they, they would be, you know, right, way right. different from me. They were just right. cooler than me. That's okay, all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it was really cool to meet these folks, but we were all about the competition. Mm-hmm. But we were also loyal to our school. Mm-hmm. And so we forged bonds across, you know, racial lines, ethnic lines. Yeah. Uh, some of us weren't Catholic, so the Catholics had to put up with us. And, and you know, the, it was a Jesuit school. And so exactly. the other Catholics, the, um, we're Columbans, or we have, we have nuns in our order. Uh-huh. How come you don't have nuns? It was like, you know, so, I mean, I found divisions between Catholics, which was a crazy thing to see. Uh, but yeah, I made all kinds of friends. Oh, that's good. One of, that's good. One of the, one of the um, authors that I discovered uh, after I had become, you know, the yuppie that I wanted to be, mm-hmm. I bought the BMW. I lived a couple blocks from the beach. Not I used to buppy, play beach. Not yuppie. I like that. <laughs> well, well, yuppies and buppies, you know, uh-huh. it was, it was a buppy thing at the time. Sure. Cause we, we threw parties and we had, you know, we played beach volleyball. In mm-hmm. 1988, mm-hmm. so if you can imagine a hundred black folks doing beach volleyball <laughs> in 1988, uh, but I, me and my 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 roommate buddy did. Um, uh, we called our party uh, promoters called GDZ, Geographically Desirable Zip Code Productions, because mm-hmm. <laughs> we lived right near the beach. Uh, but I wanted to find the highbrow black literature right. i was like well yeah we all go to the same parties everybody dances to cameo that's how it is right. but what about the stuff and so you know once the buppy was done i was like oh you know i really haven't listened to that much reggae and i really mm-hmm. haven't list- i haven't read a whole lot of black authors from other places sure and so i came to this point in my life where i started looking for something other than the typical yuppie buppy success. Mm-hmm. And so I got I got into the literature again. Right. And I found this guy John A. Williams. And John A. Williams was he wrote about blacks in the military. Oh, okay. And so he takes this story uh it's called Captain Black Man and it's about uh, a private who gets bumped on the head. And then he goes through this time travel thing and he, he becomes embodied in all of these black warriors from the beginning of the founding of the country, Buffalo soldiers, uh-huh. world yeah. war one war of 1812. You know, he becomes all of those people. And then you realize that there's this segment of black America who proudly served uh, the United States, but also just took that warrior attitude and said, you know, we're going to fight. And so that was that was a real revelation because you you wouldn't think unless you're actually looking for something, you know, what what, what did blacks do in the military? And and we all kind of know the story of blacks coming back from World War Two. And now that they had guns and now that they mm-hmm. dance with French women in Paris, they wasn't going to take a back seat down <laughs> south. So there were a couple of things that were inevitable in this country. You know, once the army taught right. you how to shoot and kill uh but that didn't just happen in world war ii that was that was happening long before then and john oh, yeah. a williams hit me to that stuff and i I didn't know that before 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's always amazing the things you discover about um, Black history. Because no one, even if you're the king of Black History Month, no one can ever know all there is in Black mm-hmm. History Month. Because you're mm-hmm. talking about millions of individual lives, millions of yeah. individual stories. I mean, sometimes I find Black History Month to be a little bit frustrating because most teachers and instructors and publicists will just be lazy and go to the mm-hmm. same go-to people, you know, yeah. Dr. King, Malcolm oh, X, yeah. Rosa, yeah. yeah, 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 you know. And, and to, yep. to me, it's such sad because black people are just people and everyone has their unique story. And I think you better serve black history the richer and deeper you go. So if I were, mm-hmm. I am actually, I'm sorry, I am king of Black History Month, not to break out of character, I would probably, <laughs> I would probably require every teacher in grade school and high school to not repeat the same list of characters mm. in succeeding years. You would yeah. be required to move on to other people, other people, other people as a kid goes through school so that by the time they reach 12th grade, they would have a nice, good working knowledge of maybe, I don't know, uh, 24 to 48 black people from history as opposed to the same 10 to 12 names we can all name. And I mm. think that might actually uh, increase the level of racial wisdom and racial sophistication out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I think. Um, so shall it be written, so, so shall, shall it be, be done. done. I, like <laughs> I like that, I like that. You know, it's interesting, <laughs> my, my fifth and sixth grade teacher uh, was named Judy Milliken. Uh-huh. And this was back in the 70s at Virginia Road Elementary School in Los Angeles in West Adams neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And she was an orphan. Mm. Uh, she was about four foot eight, just a sliver of nothing. And she had um, kind of a, a, a weak lung, mm. but she was, everybody loved her. And she was a diehard USC Trojan. Mm-hmm. But her parents were... Um, were black and they owned a bookstore hall's bookstore Mm -hmm. hall's bookstore on santa barbara boulevard before it became martin luther king boulevard so at the tender age of you know nine or ten i knew a white woman with black parents who ran a bookstore and she would put those one of those little spinning things that you put the paperbacks in Mm -hmm. in our classroom and we had all kinds of books to read uh, which was which was fabulous, oh, that's and so one of my first heroes was Matt Henson, hmm. the explorer, mm-hmm. uh, who was one of the first people who went to the North Pole. Mm-hmm. He was Admiral Peary's right hand man, right. and he ran those expeditions. And almost nobody talks about um, Henson and his achievements, and 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 I think I grew up loving hiking and backpacking. Right. And I was like, of course, you know, Matthew Henson, he did it. Why mm-hmm. shouldn't I do it? Sure, yeah. I remember learning about uh, Henson probably through either Epony or Chet. Uh, mm-hmm. So once again, with my school environment, it wasn't. it's not something I would have learned about from my teachers, but definitely through the magazines at Grandma's house. And having said that, I do remember and another important source for how I acquired black history I love to read, as, as you know, can tell. And I used mm-hmm. to read a book a day beginning in junior high school. So when the school wow. bell rang, I would run to the library, find a history book, check it out, and then dash to the bus, do my homework, and after my homework was done for the day, read that book. 
and I was a speed reader because I had learned to speed read in, in the second grade from my teacher, Mrs. Taylor. So I did that. And when you're when you're reading a book a day in junior high school, you acquire a lot of knowledge, as you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So by the time I got to high school, I decided I want to learn as much as I can about black history. So I mm. literally read, and I remember I had a number of books, but I read every single book in my high school library about black history. It might have been mm. 50 to 100 books, but I read every one of them. I remember that. Wow. So, uh, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was very Do you remember the phenomenon of Roots? Yes, I do. I do. When Roots school. came out in high school? Speaking Man, of roots, that was a big deal. Speaking of roots, you already know this, I'm sure, but Mr. Kunta Kinte, uh, LaBarve Burton, did yes. Henry Lewis. Yes, yes. And he discovered that he has a uh, Confederate great great grandfather. <laughs> he, he was so uh, uh, upset and discombobulated about that. But uh, I don't know. I think that's a little bit too much. I think that every black American, I think, in the year 2024, whose family's been around since 1900, they should know and accept they've got mixed ancestry. It should not be a big shock to the system, right? I know. It, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't Eddie Murphy was the first one to say, where are the white girls at? <laughs> Interestingly enough, right. that's a perfect segue to the next book. Oh, good. Which, which I read was Toni Morrison's Jazz. Ah, okay. Now, like everybody... I was blown away the first time I read Beloved. Mm-hmm. And and at, that was kind of one of the books that turned me away from thinking being a black professional is the be-all and end-all. Mm. Because I still wanted to know, you know, what the rest of the world was doing. I, right. I'm sitting in front of my computer back in the 80s before anybody thought it was anything near cool. And I read Beloved and it, I was gobsmacked. These mm. paragraphs flow so well these complicated nuanced writing i was Mm -hmm. just blown Mm -hmm. away Mm -hmm. but it was jazz that took that writing to a new level Mm -hmm. and jazz is the story of what dysfunctions happen to black families who reject their white relatives oh that sounds interesting white families who reject their black relatives. This sounds very interesting. And I was, at the time, I was going through, I had moved to New York, and I yeah. wanted to meet all of my relatives, and I'm putting together a family tree, right. you know? And, you know, this is before anybody knew DNA could be decoded, much less you could mm-hmm. spit into a bottle. Right. And I'm finding that there are parts of the family that just don't want to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm not a threat. I'm not a menace. I just want to know, you know, what yeah. happened. Yeah. And it's like, you know, there's a part of the family that you can't talk about mm-hmm. or you don't go to or nobody mm-hmm. wants to talk about. Mm-hmm. And jazz is a, a fiction about this that brings home the hurt, how mm-hmm. people fail uh, because they refuse to acknowledge that this is a part of them. You uh-huh. know, I, I love that Michael Jackson phrase. You're just another part of me. Right. And right. so when you ignore that part of yourself. You're hurting yourself. And so this is about how to how it is to, you know, get past that stuff and accept all of the part, all of the things you are, uh, because you can't be healed unless yeah. you have that. Uh, so do you it was a great my, book for me. Do you recall my essay, uh, I Passed for White? 
And if you don't, oh. I'll count it. Tell me, tell me again. Sure, okay. So here's the story. It's a true story. I won't mention first names, but uh, my grandma is a Brown. And so grandma's grandfather was Daniel Brown, born 1833, 1885. Uh, he was mixed. Uh, his mm -hmm. father was white. His mother was very fair-skinned. So he didn't look black whatsoever. But Daniel Brown had 16 children, large wow. family, large family. Wow. Two died in childbirth. Four passed for white. So 10 remained in the black uh, family in Virginia. Mm. But this mm -hmm. is the story. So I was talking with a cousin, dear cousin, and uh, sadly her father had passed away. Uh, her dad was like uh, in his mid-90s. And we were just talking, you know, catching up as distant cousins. And she shared this story that was just amazing to me. So she said, okay, let me get the story straight. Her, got it. Her uncle and her aunt were married. Mm -hmm. The aunt, no, and, and the uncle wanted to have children. That's what he mm -hmm. wanted. He was motivated by that. The aunt, the wife, was barren. She couldn't have any children. Okay. This is like early 1900s. Okay. So that impulse to have a child is very strong. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. one way or another, uh, her uncle had a child out of wedlock uh, with uh -huh. a white lady in Virginia okay. in the early 1900s. Now, the, the wife never knew. Way before she, loving. That's right. <laughs> she went to her grave and never knew that her husband had had a uh, baby girl out of wedlock with this uh, okay. lady who was white. So anyway, the, the little baby girl was uh, sent to live with my cousin's aunt in Chicago. <clears throat> and my cousin's aunt was very fair-skinned, very European features. So every now and then, the real mother, the white mother, would come and, and raise her daughter, and then she would mm -hmm. leave, and my cousin's aunt would raise the daughter. But anyway, mm -hmm. the little girl grew up, and she was beautiful. She mm -hmm. was just uh, a sight to behold. And so she went off to college, and she met a white guy, and they fell in love, and okay. she decided uh, they were going to get married. But, you know, however, she is, quote, unquote, black uh, mm -hmm. during this time period. And so my cousin told me that the girl met her mom at a train station. And uh. for an hour, they talked about family and how she had made this decision okay. to leave black family and pass for white forever. And so they basically the aunt and the, and the, and the, the, the niece Mm -hmm. collapsed a lifetime into an hour. And wow. then when she left the train station, she never saw her family again. And that's wow. an example of what you mean. And so my cousin always wondered, how could she deceive her white husband? Because mm -hmm. she made up some story probably. Oh, I'm part Italian or I'm part American. <laughs> right, 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 right. But I always yeah. thought about that. And here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Re remember that the wife was barren. Yes. So the aunt who lost her niece uh, to the white race, her aunt persuaded my, my cousin's uh, father to name his baby girl, my dear cousin, after the niece who had passed for white. And so my cousin never knew she was named after this white passing uh, okay. cousin 
until she was okay. a teenager. So what happened was, so so my, my, my cousin in Virginia goes to Chicago to visit her aunt and her right. relations. And everyone yes. is like, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. And she's uh-huh. trashing her head. What do you mean? What do you mean? I have, I've never, this is the first time I've been here. So apparently my cousin in Virginia was the spitting image of oh, the wow. girl who had passed for white. The only difference oh, was wow. the one who passed for white has straight hair, but my uh-huh. cousin had curly hair. But otherwise, okay. they had the same. They had the same name, right? And they wow. looked exactly alike, except one had wow. curly hair and one had straight hair. Think about that. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. That's, that's jazz. I, I, yeah, it is. It is. You got to improvise. You got to. You got to get on that beat, and you know. Right. You know. It, sometimes it changes up, mm-hmm. but it's got to swing. Yes. And you can't leave any instruments out. I mean, you can solo for a while, but. Uh, <laughs> It can't be all solo. That's true. That's true. You got to harmonize, baby. There you go. There you go. Wow, that's crazy. So you know, I have um, I have uh, one uh, arm of my family. My father's side mm-hmm. is from uh, Connecticut. Yes. And originally from North Carolina. Okay. Uh, and I was just I was just trolling Zillow the other day, mm-hmm. uh, and I was as soon as I opened it up, it opens up to New Bern, North Carolina. Okay. And that's where my great grandfather. Uh, was from and then we couldn't find anything behind uh, him Mm -hmm. Uh, but I saw this property for seven million dollars and it's a wow in New Bern yeah well evidently there's a a 950 acre island on the river that comes down to New Bern so I'm looking at it there's just this this one little shed this shotgun shack yeah. Uh, with with you know a bunkhouse basically, mm-hmm. and then then a pier and a boat, and then the, all the shots are like of you know drone shots, and I'm like wait wait, oh seven hundred nine hundred and fifty acres, wow, and I've always entertained the idea of going back and living uh, uh, in New Bern, uh-huh. and you know just finding some small little place. Right, uh, right. Where where my great grandfather grew up. I understand because that. it would be yeah it would be true you know and I, I'd probably run into some Bowens over there. I, that would be crazy. I understand that it's a hunger. It's almost it's a desire to kind of uh, complete yourself. When I was in Virginia uh, two weeks ago, I was uh, researching my grandmother's grandfather Daniel Brown because I mm-hmm. felt this hunger to want to know where did he actually live? Where did this guy live who? created such a, a legacy of property and enterprise and mm. uh, come to find out you know we, we're told in school where narrative is most blacks if not all were slaves and when they were freed of the civil war they were dirt poor and if they were lucky they were sharecroppers and not lynched that's kind of the narrative right right, right. And the outliers are people who you know were in congress or had college degrees but mm. come to find out my grandmother's grandfather who was a slave right he was able to save up enough money that by 1871, he purchases the family home. What's it called? A mansion. A mansion mm. on the banks of the James River that had been owned mm-hmm. by the Randolph family, which is this old Virginia family. So okay. I tried to imagine. So here's this black family, mom, dad, 14 kids, until wow. four passed for white. But anyway, <laughs> <14 kids. laughs> and they're living in this big old mansion on the banks of the James River in 1871. It goes against the narrative. And I've always wow. thought that, 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 that black people who, for whatever reason, 
come from unusual backgrounds, we're done a disservice by the way we traditionally teach mm -hmm. black history. Because mm -hmm. it's always kind of mm -hmm. from the bottom up. There's never recognition yeah. that people were yeah. owning property before the Civil War, during the Civil War, and after the Civil War. So, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. My mother's side of the family was easier to, to track down because mm -hmm. uh, they're in New Orleans. New Orleans. And New Orleans keeps some records, boy. But <laughs> that side of the family had never been enslaved. Not mm -hmm. one. I believe it. Yeah. And yeah. then, in fact, my aunt discovered that our family owned slaves. Sure. Because in Louisiana, it's illegal to set anybody free. And so what would happen is if uh, a family member or a near relative knows somebody who mm -hmm. is enslaved, then they buy them mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they just says, OK, you, 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 you do that. And, gotcha. and of course, we had a lot of people who could pass for right. white. Right. Uh, but that's that's Creole in New Orleans. That's just part of the culture down there. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's so right. it was it was pretty interesting. I guess the bottom line here is um, don't accept black history from anybody but your people and find out who your people are. There's a lot to be said for that. There is a lot to be said for that. Uh, and then sometimes now, now, to be fair, sometimes people yeah. don't want to accept the real history. Case in point. Yeah. I know yeah. someone who is a descendant of four, not one, not two, not three, but four generations of free black slave owners. Uh, mm. in a southern city. And when you tell people this, they, they their eyes close. They just kind of like, <laughs> like, what? what? How could that be? No, no, no. And it's so ridiculous because right. that's just part of their history. And because, and because of that, they acquired certain property, certain mm -hmm. mindsets, certain values and attitudes of enterprise. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. you, how can I put it? There's always this idea that slavery cut off at the knees, black attainment. And so that's where we are today. That is not true for all black people. Some people, some black people, kind of gained <laughs> from the peculiar institution before the Civil War. And those well, see, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that, those are the words of anathema. You can't be saying that. Black people benefited from slavery. But the weird thing is, the same folks that would have you believe that Orthodox yeah. will say, oh, well, you know, America couldn't have prospered because nobody knew how to grow rice over here. Mm -hmm. And we taught yeah. we taught America how to grow rice mm -hmm. and peanuts, sure. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right, so, right, right, right. yeah, it's 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 fun, you it know, is. shooting the fish in the barrel of That's black true. success. That's true. Uh, but, you know, you, you got to discover your own family tree. I'm absolutely behind that. I agree. And, uh, you I know, agree. be prepared to be surprised because you agree. will find all kinds of stuff. I mean, I I didn't hear about Bass Reeves until I watched the um, the Watchmen thing on HBO, mm -hmm. which I think was actually a very an excellent. Yeah. Excellent. I mean, the best black hero ever. Right. On on TV. That right. in my opinion Absolutely nobody beats those people mm -hmm. who were, I mean, just there were four of them. I'll just say that. And they they would kick the Avengers' ass because <laughs> they had an ace in the hole. Anybody who, anybody who knows um, uh, the Watchmen will know. 
Right. That ace in the hole. Right. But right. anyway. So so if I were king of Black History Month, <clears throat> aside from praising Black Enterprise Magazine to the heavens, I would certainly curse and cast out reparations for American slavery Ooh. if I were king of Black History Month. Let me... And there, there, I, one day, Michael, I told mm. myself, I'm going to write like a thousand and one essays about <laughs> reparations. But, but for now, let me give you just one reason out of many why I think it's such a horrible idea. Um, I was reading yesterday, that's right, a, a wonderful Substack essay by Eric Howell, H-O-E-L. Okay. And the title of the essay was, Why is it so hard to know if you're helping? And it was so insightful because... It was uh, a story of this guy, the writer, who's on an airplane, and he just strikes up a conversation with the passenger next, next to him. It was a mm -hmm. teenager, and she was a Native American from a tribe that specializes in casino business. And mm. her tribe has this regular custom and practice of giving every tribal teenager, when they turn 18, a lump sum of money. Anywhere Ooh. from 80000 to a quarter of a million dollars. Must be wow. nice. Must be nice. Wow. Right? I tell so, you. So the guy's listening to the story, and I know it's true because it happens in San Diego, too, with our tribes. But hmm. he said, well, then what, what do you plan to do with the, this, this, this blessing, this windfall? And she said, oh, you know, I'm going to buy mom a car and I'll probably, you know, buy some Franks and drinks and whatever. And he was kind of appalled. And then she went on about, um, that's what we do. We have a massive party for several months when we turn 18. <laughs> and then all the money's gone. And then, you know, you've got little sisters and brothers who are to get their money in a few years. So I thought to myself, that's, Michael, that's reparations light. That's reparations, yeah. right? If you give wow. people a quarter of a million dollars, in, seven, in three years, 70% of them are going to be broke. So, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. So. So what? What? What have you done? What? What have you accomplished? I'm on my pedestal right now because I really think this is the second worst idea ever in American history. I have to stop myself from laughing, Michael, because it's crazy. It it's is. crazy. It's just yeah. You know, I. I. First of all, uh, let me say the first thing. Right. Because I mean, I. I'll, I'll never equal Dave Chappelle. Oh, but yes. you know he did this. Yes, he you did. know he did yes. this. He's yes, like, he I'm did. rich, bitch. Connie, That's Connie. Take note. Take note, Connie. <laughs> <laughs> that was Dave Chappelle. Just kind of nailed it. He did. And and and, and that was very funny. It was hilarious. I mean, <laughs> and 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 Dave has done the stuff that uh, you know, picking up on Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Like if I'm gonna dress up as white, what happens? Right, right, right. And then, and then, and and he did the the the, the newscaster yeah. was Dave Chappelle's uh, character there. Yeah. Um, but so do we the wanna, last. Do we want to subsidize parties for people? <laughs> or... Well, you know, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> Is that really reparations for Americans? I, I, <laughs> I like to, I like to go back, and 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 re re recontextualize. Public Enemies Nation of Millions. Okay. Because there's there's several nations of millions inside the 46 million. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we know that. Yes, That's black do. privilege. To oh. know enough black people to know the lie isn't true. That is too deep. That is so deep. Listeners, 
pay attention to what Michael is saying. This is I, 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 I'm right going to say it again. Say it again, Michael. The black privilege <laughs> is to know enough black people to know the lies about black people are not true. Oh, man, you're king for eternity. You're king for eternity. <laughs> well, you know, I, I didn't I didn't get it all um, from from myself. Right. And I'm I'm gonna go back and I'm I have my quotes here, oh, uh, because there's a couple people who 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 got this um, uh, who whom I got this from, and I'm first gonna look for Greg Tate. Greg Tate, okay, I recognize that name. Greg Tate was a a, a music critic for the Village Voice. Yes, I think that yes, yes, yes. Um, and 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 here is his quote which I got in 1991 and it, mm -hmm. it's, it's brilliant. And it's one of the reasons I don't second guess black people. Okay. And I quote from Greg Tate, perhaps the supreme irony of black American existence is how broadly black people debate the question of cultural identity among themselves while getting branded as a cultural monolith by those who would deny us the complexity and complexion of a community, let alone a nation. If Afro-Americans have never settled for the racist reductions imposed upon them, from chattel slaves to cinematic stereotype to sociological myth, it's because the black collective consciousness not only knew better, but also knew more than enough ethnic diversity among themselves to subsume those fictions. Oh wow, that that's yeah, that's thought provoking. That's deep. and 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 that means he's taking the race and saying there's ethnic divisions in the race, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and those are more important. So everything that we've talked about from Jamaicans coming over here and Nigerians coming right. over here, right. and and split those up amongst class. Yeah. And then you take the Catholics and the Protestants and the Muslims and the Jews mm -hmm. among black Americans. And mm -hmm. then you get more and more. And it's uh, it's something. Oh, not, and, and those aren't only divisions, of course, they're divisions of age. Are you a teenager or are mm -hmm. you mid age or are you in your 90s? Uh, are you, you a boomer? <laughs> did you grow up in a city or a suburb? Did you grow yes. Up in New York City or Richmond, mm -hmm. Virginia. Yeah, yeah, there are innumerable divisions. I like that. Yeah. Speaking of divisions, I need. I want to ask you this question. I wrote a recent essay about the fact that seventy-seven percent of black doctors are Nigerian immigrants. I repeat wow. that, listeners. Seventy-seven percent of black mm. doctors are Nigerian immigrants. Now, I I love people, Nigerian wow. immigrants. My former neighbor was a Nigerian immigrant doctor. But the point is, should Native Americans, Black Americans, be a little bit embarrassed that they're being so outpaced in the medical profession? I you know, think so. I mean, it's... Because Nigerians are only 1% of Black people in America. 1% is producing 77% of Black doctors. Think about that. They're hustling, man. That. They're hustling. Yes, it's funny. Yes. I, I got a video about a young Nigerian girl, a mm -hmm. uh, teenager, I think, who just took their 23andMe. Oh, yes. And she, you know, she discovered she was 99% Nigerian and 1% something else. She was an Igbo, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And and my best friend when I lived in uh, in um, Atlanta was Igbo. Okay. Uh, 
and and every once in a while he would speak Igbo and oh, his really? voice would sound like this Ooh, and it's like very that. smooth like it's very that. smooth and very quiet Ooh. and and quiet and he <laughs> yeah he was he absolutely was a striver yeah but he didn't even he didn't care about american bourgeois conventions he was just like <laughs> show me the money <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you another little story Yes. Um, my my wife worked uh, in the Atlanta Atlanta Games. That's why we moved down there. Right. And uh, she was the buyer for the uh, food in the Olympic Village. Yeah. And so you know we got through. We got a chance to go into the Olympic Village and and you know pass the troops that were marching around after the bombing. Yeah. And I got a chance to sit in the giant cafeteria with all the athletes. And mm-hmm. you can imagine everybody in there is a stud. You know the best athletes in the world. Yeah. And the Nigerians had their table with their yellow and green, and they were scary. There's nothing nothing you've seen in Black Panther movie that compares to those actual Nigerian athletes. <laughs> they were like, holy smokes. Ooh, boy. That was something. That was something. But if we go to James Baldwin, James Baldwin says... All you were ever told in this country about being black, that is a terrible, terrible thing to be. Now, in order to survive this, you have to really dig down into yourself and recreate yourself. Really, according to no image which yet exists in America, you have to impose. In fact, this may sound very strange. You have to decide who you are and force the world to deal with you not with its idea of you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, boy. I love it. Oh, boy. I love that. I love that so much. I love that that's, so much. I mean, that's my, cool. only, my only rebuttal, and it, it overlaps what I said earlier, is, uh, and I'll quote, I became black reading the pages of Black Enterprise in my grandma's living room. Day after day, my heroes mm. became publisher John Johnson of Ebony. Motown founder Barry Gordy entrepreneur yes. Percy Sutton, corporate lawyer Reginald Lewis, and of course Earl Graves Jr. So imagine a little kid teaching himself that the best virtues of life, enterprise and triumph over adversity and high aim and achievement, yes. those things define blackness. If you have a kid like that, the world is not going to stop that kid. When he yeah, is what's going to stop him? That's What's going right. to stop them? That's right. So why don't why don't we understand that when we are teaching people things like critical race theory and diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff? Why don't we? Well, here's the other side. Here's the other side of black privilege, and I haven't figured out the equation. And I, I'm trying to I'm trying to literally ask ChatGPT to do this mathematically for me. All right, you're black and and, and I, I figured I figured. Look. White folks outnumber black folks seven to one. Mm-hmm. All right. So if you can imagine but a not bowl full of commercials, just TV. <laughs> <laughs> not on college brochures <laughs> or Super Bowl ads. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? Oh, I'm too abrupt. I'm sorry. I, my apologies. My apologies. Too much reality. Too much yeah, reality, that's, people. That's okay. <laughs> Um, um, but imagine a bowl full of marbles, seven times white, one times black. Yes. And, and they start segregated. All right. And you shake them up, you do a little integration, but still the, 
the ones on the front lines are going to know each other better. Mm-hmm. The ones left behind on the margins are not going to know. There's still going to be white marbles on the white side that don't know any blacks mm-hmm. and black marbles on the black side that don't know any whites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in the middle, it's it's fair to say that even those who mix, the blacks will mathematically know more whites than the whites know blacks. Yeah, that's a fair statement. So I, I don't know how to work out the statistics, and there's so many variables, like how rigorous is the integration? Sure. Is is there a little claw that comes up and picks up one black marble sure. and says, you're president of Harvard? No, I mean... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good. <laughs> but but the, the, the abuse of black privilege mm-hmm. is if you know black diversity, mm-hmm. and then you go represent to white marbles that don't know any better, uh, yeah, and you say this is what all of us need. Uh, yeah, because yeah, it's easy that's to do. that's it's abusing easy to the privilege. It's right. easy. It's easy to you know. It's easy yeah. for white folks to believe you mm-hmm. if they don't know any better. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. plus, if they feel guilty about stuff, white yeah. guilt, like Shelby Steele has written about, right. then then you double down on that. And so th- <laughs> there's 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 the there's the the possibility there. Well, and this- you know. Is the solution to have more aggressive programs whereby white students are encouraged to attend HBCUs? Because then they would be more exposed to the wealth of diversity in black America. Right? Think about that. Yeah, but, you know, I'm picking books Mm -hmm. since I'm the king this time. Yes, you are. But next time I'll I'll talk about music. Okay. And I'll talk about film. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk about dance. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk about liturgy. Yeah. There's so many ways for people to appreciate what black contributions to American culture. That's true. Yeah. There's so many. And it's always it's always has been open source. And people who say, well, you know, on Sunday, it's the most segregated day. In the, like, go to somebody else's church. Have you well, not true. even done that? That's true. Have you that's not even point. tried? That's a good point. I mean, that's a good point. I, okay. I, I say we don't need to preach to people sure. to, to make friends, now to I'm have play, relationships. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate because I agree All with right, you. All right, go ahead. devil's advocate. Go ahead. But suppose you live in a town where your family has attended the same African Methodist Episcopal Church for generations mm-hmm. since the 1870s. Mm-hmm. In fact, your okay. family founded the church. Isn't it normal to feel some kind of a... Um, and, and not 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 uh, racial, but kind of a familiar obligation to the church oh, yeah. of origin. So oh it's yeah. Not a, it's not a racial thing. It just happens to right. be AME Church, African Methodist Episcopal Church. So in that situation, could it be that because of traditional church attendance patterns, blacks are more likely to worship in churches that happen to be black because that's where grandma sat. That's yeah. where great grandfather worshipped. That's where great great. No, no. There's no disrespect to the tradition. None. No disrespect to the tradition. You got to keep. You you have to take care of your roots, Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. all your fruits will wither. Mm -hmm. Um, So so, but let me swing back to the Nigerian girl, because first of all, through this whole video, she's tossing her hair. She has she has uh, Whitney Houston hair, and she's just throwing it away from her face every time, right? And I'm like, holy smokes. Her, 
Her her hair is straighter than Mariah Carey's. <laughs> well, she's and a she's, she's is the, she's an Evo? the straight hair Evo tribe. <laughs> I I guess so. There's the straight hair Evo trait. And and she says, well, you know, she couldn't believe that this other girl was fifty percent Nigerian. Yeah. And she's like, I didn't realize that there were other Nigerians that I didn't know were Nigerian. Mm. And I, I I had the stereotype about black Americans being, you know, a pure blood Nigerian mm-hmm. about these mud blood mm-hmm. Negroes yeah. in America. And, 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 but she said, you know, I didn't really think about that. And I'm trying not to have any stereotypes. And I'm saying, this is what makes you an American. Mm. It's the, 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 the necessity to feel the way other people live, to respect their cultures, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to be cosmopolitan. Uh-huh. It's okay to respect your traditions, but there should be a little room in your head to be cosmopolitan, to go into a French restaurant and at least try to order in French. Sure, sure. sure. You know, and, and, and try to learn about other cultures and try to be influenced by it. Well, you know, well, you don't have to master them. Just... Well, do you think this Ebo teenager will eventually acculturate and become part of Black American culture? Or will she oh, always I, I think there's there's no doubt about it okay. because she's so articulate. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think I think absolutely. I mean, uh-huh. I I tend to think that there is, um, and this is something I'll probably elaborate more on another time. Yeah. But I'm Black power in America is Black people taking over. American power. It's not, it's not, it's not the descendants of the black Panthers that have taken over Oakland city hall Mm -hmm. that makes Oakland's mayor black. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, maybe that, that black mayor of Oakland attended Berkeley. Mm -hmm. They attended an American university Mm -hmm. where they teach you political science and he learned those lessons the way Americans do. And mm-hmm. he competed with everybody else. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm going to serve in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And so he's taking the power of his Berkeley degree and the work that he put into that, conforming into that culture of success, which is well understood in America. But wouldn't the same thing have happened if he had graduated, not from Berkeley, but from Howard University? Sure. Okay. Sure. But Howard's an American university, too. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And they teach the same books. And they all have the Mark Twain in their libraries. And they should have the Gene Toomer and the the Stanley Crouch and the Wanda Coleman and the Jervie Turvalon and the Greg Tate, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the Ellis Coase, the Marcus (laughs) Mabry, the Stephen L. Carter, the Gerald Early, the Terry McMillan, the Gloria Naylor, the E. Lynn Harris. Whoa. Pre-trip. You should have all those books. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, and, and you should be reading them, and they should be in your house. So your kids toddling up to the, to, to the, to the bookcase, sure, sure. pull them off, and, and say, don't do that. That's Marcus Mabry. Okay. He went to Stanford. He runs the digital thing at CNN now. Now I'm going to pose a, a mirror image, a hypothetical to you, just because I'm always curious and I'm always curious. All right. So we've talked about that Evo teenager. It, mm-hmm. I think you I agree with you. I think that eventually she will become part and part of black American culture as constituted. Now consider her mirror image, not an mm-hmm. Evo immigrant from Nigeria who's a teenager, but suppose you happen to be 
a white American, let's say from Pennsylvania or New York, mm-hmm. and you know, you've learned, you know you are the descendant of a very famous black ancestor. I'm thinking in particular of uh, Reverend Liminal Haynes, who was the first black okay. minister. Now, right. you're, you're, you're his, he's the most famous person in your family tree. Mm. But your self-identity is also as a white American. Mm-hmm. Does that knowledge in some way change your white American identity to something more just American per se? What do you think about mm. that? What do you think about I that? I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm new getting back into the race writing. Yeah. yeah. And I used to have ready answers to that. Sure. And what I used to say is I used to refer to white folks and black folks. Yes. And I said, there's nothing particular special about you it just white folks they look white they're identified as white they believe they're white and they have an average amount of white consciousness and that's all there is to it and black folks black folks they look black they identify as black and this was this was a definition that made sense until until the death of saint george Mm. when we start getting the Mm -hmm. sea because because now the racial identities became more freighted, mm-hmm. more important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you can remember when Obama was elected, people were yes. saying, oh, we're post-racial. Right, right. And everybody's going to get along. Mm-hmm. And, and people who can get along still get along. Yeah. But kids growing up in this new polarized environment uh, uh, with woke and CRT, they have to kind of decide. They have to think about it more mm, mm. than 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 than, mm-hmm. and hopefully they'll get up and 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 realize you know everything they told us was a lie, and we're going to have to go our own way. And I think and I think that's happen. what the alphas and Gen Z are going to do. And that's why I agree with you totally, totally. Uh, let me give an example. So I have a third cousin, once removed. Third cousin once removed, uh, lives. Well, they grew up in Virginia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> When I first saw my third cousins once removed, my eyes didn't register black American. I just, mm. I just saw a white American. I, I, yeah. You would have to convince me they were a black ancestry. Right, and, right. But, but these same cousins were in medical school and they joined the Black Medical Student Association. Mm-hmm. So query whether or not their sense of blackness, quote unquote, Mm-hmm. different from the sense of blackness you and I have as people who are more readily identifiable. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's something to that? And if so, is no, the sense I... of blackness more modern, if you will, or postmodern? Mm-hmm. What do you think? I, 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 think, I think everybody, I mean, I think the people who fail, the people who lose are the ones who just go along with the stereotype. Okay. You, you see, it's like, I want people to be able to say, well, yeah, I, I go as white just, just to, but you know, I'm not the kind of white you think I am. <laughs> All right. 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 And, 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 and I want black people to say, well, yeah, okay, I'm black, but I'm not the kind, the of, kind black of black you think I you am. Think I am. Right, All right. 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 And, right. The, and, and as long as we accept that there's intellectual and, 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 you know, character diversity within mm-hmm. these racial buckets that we've all been unfortunate mm-hmm. to inherit right, in America, right, right. then 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 we're okay. I mean, you, I have to look for a character. I just mm-hmm. do. Yeah. I, I, and, and I, as a Christian, 
grown up with Christian ethics, I have to find something virtuous in you yes. to pay attention to you. I sort right? Of, yeah. And then there's a little bit of military in my upbringing as well, as well as Catholic school. So I call out your full name. I want your full attention because mm -hmm. then I'm talking to the gut, the soul of you. Right. All right? right. I want you to pay attention. You know, if I say Winkfield, whatever your middle whatever name is, is. Twyman right, right, Jr. Right, 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 right. Right, right. Can't get more waspy than that, people. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it, it, it might be. It might be. But, you know, we, we inherit all the good and we inherit all the bad because we're in America. I mean, it's, it's not like they were aiming the planes only at white people. Now, this goes to one of my, <laughs> one of my essays, which I liked a lot. Um, it goes to wars and used the word soul, the soul of the person. Mm -hmm. Are the souls of black people in 2024 different from the souls of black people in 1903 when W. Du Bois wrote his book, The Souls of Black People? Are mm. the souls of black people different today? And if so, how so? <clears throat> I think we're more modern. We're more modern. We're more, we're more first world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We are more entitled. Mm -hmm. We're certainly wealthier, mm -hmm. and and we have, generally speaking, higher expectations of ourselves. I agree. Are we and, more oppressed? And, Are we more oppressed? Oh hell no! You heard you first, people. <laughs> we, we we all have. Here, here's the thing, and and maybe you can talk to some of those uh, Nigerian immigrants, right. because my friend, his father was a pilot in the, the Igbo civil war. Mm -hmm. Oh wow. So he just, he just came out of a civil war. Right. Right. His, his father said, here, take, take this money, take your money, go to America. Right. Right. Because this place is trying to do reconstruction and it's not working mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and there's oligarchs and, and it's right. nasty, right. you know? So you have to be able to say, in America, well, this cop pulled me over driving while black, mm -hmm. and I didn't do anything wrong, and he didn't write me up for a ticket, but I was detained, and he had a dog in his back seat. Mm -hmm. If you were in South Nigeria, you might have not survived that. Right, right. So, right. so compared to other parts of the world, that is a first world problem. Mm -hmm. Okay, well if you if you walked away from a cop pulling you over, then count your blessings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, again, we're entitled because we see we're, we're surrounded by entitled people. Yeah. And, and, and we don't read books because we're waiting for somebody to make another movie, make another movie, make it easy for me, put it on YouTube, make it easy for me. Right. And so yeah. our souls are different mm -hmm. because we're a little bit more spoiled. I we're think that's we're true. certainly we're certainly e more easily middle class. Yeah. We certainly more easily go into, you know, Eddie Bauer yeah. and and buy our clothes and it's not a big deal. Someone should write a sequel to The Souls of Black Folk 2024. I think that would be yeah. well well deserved. And speaking yeah. of a sequel, did you see American Fiction? No, I didn't. Oh, I didn't. I saw I, I, my wife. We loved it. It was the only I want time to. we've clapped at the very end, the two of us. Oh, all right. okay. That's awesome. good. That's, very That's good. good. Yeah. Because I, 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 I want either um, Jeffrey Wright or um, one other guy to do my biopic. 
Uh-huh. I think Jeffrey Wright would be be one of the one of the best guys to do that. Right, right, right. So yeah. I wonder if they get to the part where I say uh, half a million dollars. Okay, I'll take those reparations because <laughs> everybody has a price, you everybody know. Has a price. <laughs> I on well, reparations. That- here's what I have to say. Number one, <laughs> reparations are worse than another Trump presidency. Ooh, okay. All right. But I'll survive one way or another. I'm going to survive. I would rather win the lottery. That's number two. Okay. I would rather win the lottery so there's no strings attached. Right, right. But if there's a dysfunctional government who wants to give me money and there's no strings attached, I will take money from that dysfunctional government. <laughs> All but right. Don't you, but don't I, you feel I, guilty? Here's Not where I'll guilty. feel guilty. I'll feel guilty. I'll feel guilty when somebody cracks the database and they get all our names. Uh. And and you know that old song. There's a man going around taking <laughs> names. So it's like we won't get that unless there's a new kind of national ID. Mm-hmm. And I have global pass and my passport's up to date. Right. But if they want me to have another ID to say, uh, you are certified black and eligible now for reparations. <laughs> I'm like, I know that database is going to get hacked. I know yeah. there's going to breach. Right. Right. And, and, right. and I had to figure out, you know, if, if it's enough money, I'll figure out how to get an attorney to whitewash the money for me. <laughs> I'll send it to my brother in Cambodia. That's funny. That's so funny. You, you know but you funny? know what? You know what's funny to me? Let me say this. If you look at the DNA records, <clears throat> there are 5 million white Americans who are descendants of American slaves. So mm. 5 million white Americans will be receiving reparations checks if this idea comes to fore. Because you can't discriminate based upon race. The U.S. Constitution... Yeah prohibits race-based discrimination in government mm-hmm. programs. So how will people feel when Mr. and Mrs. Wasp in New England receive their $500 million reparations check? <laughs> Thank you. Thank-, Thank you, great-great-grandfather. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, lovey. Yes, lovey. We have always been Howells. You know, Thurston Howell the first was a Negro. <laughs> That's right, he was. <laughs> but, but seriously, it, it, reparations are supposed to heal and cure. That's the idea, right? And I don't think they will. No. It'll be part I don't of think they will. It'll be Hennessy time. It'll be, it'll be. No, but even, even if you take it very seriously, yeah. is it, is it going to be the money? Is it no. going to be the money? That makes that, that. I mean, if you, it's an insult. Yeah. Actually, it's an insult because you're not the slave. It's some distant ancestor from the 1600s or the 1700s. So, isn't this sense a disrespect to people because yeah. you're? It's money's not going where it should rightfully go. Well, so. it's interesting. I think I think somewhere out there in podcast land is somebody who's making three hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year as a DE officer. DEI, head DEI oh. officer. Oh. And and they may have had good intentions, but they would see where they're being doctrinaire and where it's being authoritarian and where they're having struggle sessions 
and training people to do this way and that right. And and I, I, I wonder if I could get any of those people to talk about what is it like to be that racial person, oh, to wow. represent that, yeah. take that money, and then do do what you're supposed to do. And yeah. knowing that it's an ideological thing. Yeah, that's very I mean, deep. That's very deep. Uh, it, that, that is. Like, I, I, we can joke about it now because it's not a bridge we have to cross right now. Right, right. But, you know, when they put that money under my nose, what am I going to do? Yeah. What, what am I going to do? What are the strings attached? Are you yeah. signing a blood oath uh, to, you know, uh, take the whole DIE thing, hook, line, and sinker? So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, I, I don't know. I just think that there's a better pathway for us. And if I were king of Black History Month, uh, I would choose the way of our wise ancestors and elders, like uh, Earl Graves Jr. and Black yes. Press Magazine. Reparations is not <clears throat> the wise path ahead. Yeah. Nope. I agree. And I would say in this instance, you can look at the literature of the wise people that we have inherited. Mm-hmm. And not only the 15 or so that I've listed here, but many more in your public library. Mm-hmm. And the more you know, ding ling 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 ling. That's true. That's true. That's true. And for those who are listening to our podcast, just remember, Michael and I are on the heels of Clint and John. (laughs) So they need to beware because we're coming on strong. (laughs) Yes. And we have a lot more fun and we laugh more. And we do. Yes. We're taking it easy because we're living in America and life is good. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Amen, brother. Yeah. Same to you. Well, this has been great. I have uh, enjoyed the company of kings. I've enjoyed my uh, crown. <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. That's right. That's right. So, 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 my king, I will see you until the next time. Uh, my king, I will see you next time. Same time, same all right. place. All right. This was good. Thank you very much. Thank you all for listening. You're listening to the Free Black Thought Podcast. Free Black